You're listening to the Just Giants Podcast with Grump and the Cranky Fan. Be sure to listen for free on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Podbean. Welcome back to Just Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan, the best damn podcast for the best damn football team. I'm your host, the football Grump, and with me as always is Mike, the Cranky Fan. Hey Grump, how you doing? Uh, it was nice to actually watch something that closely resembled sports this weekend. Um, we finally had the draft. Months and months of talking, analyzing, overanalyzing, having, you know, having your cake in the oven for too long. I don't know what kind of analogy that is, talking about things, but we finally actually had players picked, trades made, and the New York Giants are a better football team than they were you know, five days ago. This time of year always takes forever, especially when your team isn't very good and is sort of out of it by late October, early November. But it was especially long this year because, well, you know, there's nothing else going on to distract us. So a whole lot of whole lot of talk um, about what players could be picked where and what it could mean and how that could shake out for the Giants. It's finally done. It finally happened. And uh, it was a decent three-day experience. Yeah. And I think, obviously, given the circumstances, I think that they pulled off a professional program. I mean – I mean, I, I had fears that this thing would be like watching, you know, one of our family Zoom meetings where 37 people are on at once, everybody talking at once. You know, um, there were very, very few technical glitches, um, things that were out of sorts. But, um, yeah, I think it went off pretty well, and it was uh, it was engaging. Well, both from a, a um, technolo- from a logistical standpoint of – the draft itself and the broadcasting standpoint were all fairly well prepared for, which is kind of funny considering they've never had to do it before. They had a fairly condensed time to figure out how to do it. I mean, only a couple of months. It's not like they planned, you know, like a new rule was put in place on how they would have to cover it a year ago. I mean, they, they really had to figure this out pretty much since March, how they were going to have to handle this. So. And I think there are a lot of things that had to be considered that people really talk about, you know, the big things were security and privacy. I mean, you are not going to have an open mic for any of these, whether it was the head coach's room or a GM or an owner or a scout or anything. You know, they they're still trying to do a job, and you know, it's it's gamesmanship right up to the picks are taken. So it was great to see the different reactions to see where people, you know, where they're located and how they were set themselves up, and um, you know, for once. ESPN didn't make the draft about ESPN. I mean, they tried to by showing pictures of their Bristol facility and everything. And, you know, but I, and I think it was a nice touch also that them and NFL network kind of combined forces for it. You know, I know obviously because of, you know, you don't need to technology, technology wise, it had been very difficult to have two networks doing the same thing, but I thought it was uh I thought it was nice how they did it. I, you know, I obviously can do it without Michael Irvin because he's useless, but uh, overall, I thought it was a good a good show. Um, the one thing I have a little bit of a gripe with, and I think a lot of people have felt the same way I did, was that uh, every time somebody was picked, you had the combination of focusing more on what their parents had done, or focusing on the tragedy in their life and how they overcame it. Yeah, and, and I think know, ESPN I, issued a thing that they were going to kind of look into how that happened. Yeah, I mean, I, I I appreciate all these guys, what they've had to fight through. I mean, God knows, probably far more than Grump and I ever will have to, like, to get where they are today. But, you know, it's, it's almost kind of like watching these commercials nonstop. Every single commercial we watch is... We're in these unchartered times, and we'll all get through this. And you know, we get it. You know, and it's not to belittle, not to belittle the message, but it's just like, okay, you know, and I, this is their moment, these guys, and let's celebrate them. Yeah. So it was just, a, you know, it's just one of those things, kind of like when you just, it's over and over and over again. It kind of loses a little bit of the effectiveness and just comes a little bit, 
you know. Well, I mean, it's, I, it's I, not I, about I, that. It's it's nice that they had to fight through some struggle, but ultimately, yeah. when I think of this player, unless it's somebody like Shaquem Griffin with one hand, I'm not going to be thinking about any of his struggles when I'm watching him play. I want to know about him as a player. And, you know, I pay a lot of attention to a lot of these guys, so I know a lot about them. And even so, when we start getting into the fourth round, I don't know a whole lot about these guys. Well, Imagine what, what Joe Joe Normal thinks about guys being picked in the first round. He wants he doesn't give thinking. a shit about, you know what I mean? Like, it's not that important to him. It's, well, no, it's not that they don't give a shit. I think it's... You know what I mean? I, I mean, what he's interested I, in watching on the no, draft what night... What I think is, is, I don't think these guys, the first thing they want to... They're getting introduced to a national audience for the most part. You know, vast majority of people watching the draft, they may know who might be on the board in the first round, but they really don't know. Of course. Um, and the first thing you're introduced to player X is that, you know, their mother was had a drug problem for 18 years. Oh, for or, sure. Like, From the player perspective, it was it was it's outrageous. It's incredibly unfair, and it's credibly that's not, you know, you. This is that's their biggest moment of their lives right now, and I just think that, you know, I, I don't know. It, it was just a little overdone, and I think they will keep. Well, I, I think what they've done in the past actually is they've had like ESPN and ABC each have a slightly different version of the draft, where ABC is more of the human interest and ESPN's a little more of the football mechanics of the draft. Right. So I think they're trying to cater. To both, and I think they knew they're going to have monster ratings, which they did. Um, so they're trying to be, you know, like a Super Bowl brought telecast of one size fits all. So I think when we go back to normal next year, I think you'll see a little easing off of you know, the up close and personals, everything. Yeah. But anyway, I, I thought it went pretty well overall as a broadcast. It was interesting to watch. I thought it was kind of funny actually watching Goodell like as he slowly went from standing. And delivering picks to like lounging back in his chair was actually kind of funny. Yeah, I, I actually I thought, enjoyed it. I thought the NFL did a pretty genius move with uh, playing up the fact that he gets booed. I, I think it was Bud Light had the um, the promotion of you know making that a hashtag to donate money. I think that was great. I, I think it was you know every time having like you know the little uh, the box of the twenty fans from each team and him trying to play up the crowd and stuff when obviously it's not a live interaction. It got I got old a little quick. I mean, Goodell's a stiff. He's not a he's not a he's not a salesman like David Stern was for the NBA, or you know. So that's just him. But that's that's the way it is. But I, yeah, I, I thought it went uh, I thought it went pretty well as, as well. I'm, it was good entertainment. I don't know if it's just me, but it felt like after Thursday it started to drag longer than even normal. Um, and I, I don't know if that's just me because. It, it could be that it was just the same, but it really felt like we were like way past midnight by the time day two ended, which didn't seem normal to me. Well, um, you know, you're getting 60 something picks. The time drops a little bit in between the two. Um, it's just a lot of information. And sometimes what happens is, you know, they're trying to get their story in, you know, the, the, the prepackaged story. And you'll notice too quite a bit there. You'll see like, the Titans pick is is in, but we're waiting for ESPN to get their little piece run before they get to it because they're trying to catch up with, you know, the, the the piece, then the needs, then discussing the last guy. And when you start getting to like, you know, Saturday, they're really starting to fly. So when you get to Saturday, yeah, I understand it because you know the pick, the, the time in between is really quick, and they're not able to deliver them. But you can see the draft is moving on without the broadcast. So it's not – it doesn't seem as big of a deal. But we can agree on one thing, right? These teams early on in day one are told to milk the clock as long as possible for commercial time, right? I mean there's no way that year after year the first overall pick takes until there's only two minutes left on the clock to put their pick in. Oh, sure. I mean it's – you know, no publicity is bad publicity and the Bengals had 15 minutes – for them to take a victory lap. I mean, it's kind of an ironic victory lap since they had the first pick in the draft, since they're the worst team in the league last year. But this is an opportunity where... To sell jerseys, first of all. For everything. I mean, this is probably the most the Bengals will be talked about nationally will be these 15 minutes of the whole the rest of the season. 
and this is their, you know, you know, I always use the expression, especially for like Tennessee football, of winning the off season, winning the spring. And this is, you know, this is the apex of winning the off season is when you get this moment where really anybody, you know, you're about to make that first pick. This is the best the, the bad teams will probably do all year is about to make that pick. So I get it. You know, it's uh, you, know, you want to use your time, but you're right. It, it, this is a, a broadcast and a program and it is all sales. So it's fine. It's fine. It is annoying to get all excited and sitting there watching the clock go down. You know they know the pick. It's just, you know, minor gripes, but it's the same as every year. It was nothing different this year. So I, for one, was pretty happy with it this year. Um, I think that it went off without any hitches that I could really see. Nothing major. Um, You know, the the expected things, right? I mean, you you have seven or so analysts all kind of fighting for their time to, to get an opinion in and there's these awkward kind of gaps and pauses and then a little bit of talking over each other because they're not in the same room. But yeah, but you know something though, Grump? If you you know drop me from outer space onto planet Earth on Thursday night and I had no idea that we're in the situation we're in right now, I really wouldn't have thought anything different. I mean, I really kudos to ESPN, NFL Network, the NFL the way they put it together because I you really you're picking nits and you're looking for things to kind of going in there and that's great. I mean that that could have been a dis- not only a disaster for the viewer, it could have been a disaster for the league. Like let's say, you know, Gettleman couldn't get in touch with Joe Judge or couldn't get in touch with, you know, whoever the war room is, you know, or you know the war outposts are. It could have been a colossal thing and it, it went off seamless from that standpoint. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, um, as far as we know, I mean, I'm sure any report of something like that isn't going to come out day of, but it might come out down the line that there was some sort of tech issue. But it really doesn't seem like anything happened across the league. Um, and it did also, f- yeah, it did feel like when they had their their mock run a couple days prior on like Monday or Tuesday that the the reports of it being a complete disaster were overblown. Um, and even when it happened, it felt overblown because the words like disaster and, and you know failure were thrown around. And then when you got into the details, it was a lot of people not on mute, a lot of talking at the same time. I mean, really, really easy to fix things. Not actual disaster level where picks aren't getting in, communication isn't happening, you know, nothing like that. Yeah, Grump, I can tell you from my experience, like IT background, that you go through rounds of testing and, and mock go lives and stuff before it actually happens. And it and always you, is a mess the first it's time. It's always a mess. You always feel like it's, it's a disaster because you're right in the heat of it and everything. But it's very rare. If it's if it's that much of a disaster, you push your go live date back. And if it was that much of a screw up, they would have gone to – there would have been a plan B. And they didn't have to go to it. So that's that's good. Um. Before we start talking about the Giants and what we did, do we want to really quickly – is there anything non-Giant related, like we'll take like two minutes and talk about it, that really surprised you with the first round or overall with anything that happened in the draft? I, I guess that there there are three main things. There was nothing, nothing really truly crazy, but the three main things were uh, the Patriots not taking a quarterback – Seemed a little strange to me. Um, the Eagles taking a quarterback in the second round was kind of a bizarre move. And then um, I guess Jake Fromm falling as far as he did. Th- those were like the three things that seemed out of place for me. Yeah, the Fromm thing, I knew his stock was going to drop. Just you know, It just seemed further than I thought. That's all. Yeah, I mean, I, I just – he's a solid college quarterback. But I, you know, it became more evident looking at his mechanics and everything playing at Georgia that he may not be an NFL quarterback. Certainly not, you know, a top five pick like they were thinking before last year. And I was one of those guys too. But oh, um, after his freshman year, I thought he might be one of the first quarterbacks taken when he went when he came out. I, I think the really crazy thing to me, and the, the Patriot thing, even it's like you know, Belichick's smart. 
you know, he plays the long game. It's like he didn't have to pick his quarterback right now. Mm-hmm. That's true. Who knows what will happen with them, you know, going into next year. Um, the crazy thing to me was the uh, the pick by Philly. The Jalen Hurts pick? Yeah, I mean, if, if, if their true intent was to use him for gadget plays and change of pace plays and things like that, that is an awful price to pay for that type of production you're going to get. I mean, I think there's something else going on probably with that team where is Carson Wentz going to be the quarterback after 2020? Maybe not. Maybe it's not as, you know, and if that's the case, they picked the wrong guy two years ago. So I, I really don't know what they're thinking with that pick. Well, um, I mean, there, there's a lot of things wrong with it. I mean, if, if, if the true intent it's, – it's a lose-lose because if he's intended for gadget plays, it's a really high price to pay for a gadget play guy where you can – I mean there's guys like Taysom Hill. He's not a play quarterback. Well, no, he's just a good runner I guess. I, I, he's a good runner but he's like – there's a difference between being a good runner and a running and back a throw. running quarterback. Sure. Yeah. But I mean there's guys – but even if he was, there's guys like Taysom Hill – that can be found later. I mean, shit, Julian Edelman can throw the ball pretty well. I mean, there is no reason to use a second-round pick on a gadget play guy. But I don't even think he's a, that was what it was. Because if it wasn't, now now you're talking about is there is there an issue with Carson Wentz that they needed a quarterback. He's not really a good quarterback. I mean, I had him graded as a quarterback in the fourth round. So if you have a true issue with your quarterback where you think that you might need a guy to come in and play, they should have addressed it in the first round or moved up or done something to fix it because he I can tell you now he will not be the answer. And they also picked that quarterback too early because Carson Wentz has a lot of money left on that contract. So it's not like a question of like, well, you know, this wasn't an Eli situation last year like we got to think about this next quarterback cuz you know, or like what the Bucks were thinking. I mean, I, the Brady thing might have fell in their lap, but they had a decision to make with Jameis Winston coming up. Right. There's no decision to be made right now with Carson Wentz. So maybe the inside, uh, you know, the Eagle offices, they're thinking that he is too fragile. You know, he's been injured quite a bit for it, lots I, of different it, things. It absolutely may be. It just seemed like the remedy for it is is awful. Uh I, I see very little chance that Jalen Hurts comes in and proves himself to be a starting caliber quarterback in this league, no matter where he goes. But, you know, I, I'm not a professional scout, but the reports from people within Philly were not happy with the pick either. So, Well, you tell me sometime Philly's ever happy with anything. They were probably pissed when Rocky won and when he won the battle, uh, the fight in Rocky 2, they were probably still pissed. So. Well. Whatever. Either way, that was that was the big shocker for me in this. Yeah, I agree. And it, it couldn't have happened to a, a better team. So yeah, fuck them. <laughs> so let's talk about our New York Football Giants. After each day, and then overall, I had a genuinely good feeling about this draft. Um, I think that they have done a good job matching need with value and talent, and. Not only that, they didn't try to attack every need. They really focused on areas that had been ignored for years now, and that is the offensive line and its linebackers. And they they really did a good job, in my opinion, in, in throwing reinforcements at it, again, at good talent and good value. So I came away with this feeling pretty happy. I try not to get too high or too low after a draft, but I felt good after this draft. Yeah, I feel almost the exact same way. I mean, the the first I came into this draft knowing two things. One, there are a lot of needs that this team needed, both across their starting 22 and for depth. And B, they are drafting fourth before any potential trades happen. So, whoever they go they take is going to be an elite talent with the potential to be a starter for this team for many years. So knowing those two things into play, how they played things out, you're absolutely right. They addressed the positions that have been ignored for a while, and they fortified them pretty deeply. Um, 
always keep in mind that a draft pick is not a guaranteed for success. So, you know, we drafted three offensive linemen and, and how many linebackers did we draft? Three or four? Um, how many linebackers? Three, four, four linebackers and one, two, three offensive linemen. Right. So if in my mind, if two of those three offensive linemen hang around and if half of those linebackers are part of a rotation, I think that's very successful. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've seen some ridiculous tweets by, you know, people who are in the quote unquote media, like saying, oh, the Giants had do not have to worry about offensive line for years. Oh, yeah, that's that's it's like, well, first of all, no. I mean, that's if every one of these three stuck, and they became starters. They still need there are still depth issues on this team. <laughs> so, I mean, these are good building blocks. And I was pleased with, you know, those areas that, like I said, linebacker. How many years were we complaining about Jerry Reese ignoring linebackers? Sure. How many years did we complain about Reese ignoring the offensive line and wasting, you know, the, the, the twilight of Eli's career? So, the 2020 draft is one of several pieces involved in this rebuild. And, you know, we're not there yet, but you add this to free agency this year and what was happened last year and hope the success rate of these picks, if they stick and aren't bust or anything, we're still exactly on pace where I think this team should be during this rebuild. Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, you know, we agreed uh, right off the bat before the draft that the priority in our minds is to protect your investment at running back and at quarterback. We said that the only two players truly, truly safe on this team for a a new coaching staff coming in were the last two first-round picks in Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley. And I guess to a certain extent the other first-round picks from last year with DeAndre Baker and Dexter Lawrence – but really, those two guys are your investments. And so your priority now should be keeping them healthy, upright, and effective. And the way to do that, even though there's an equal need, probably, for an edge rusher to be picked at fourth overall, the need gets a priority bump up for left tackle. Or offensive tackle at all, I guess. The bottom line is people bitched and moaned over how much we paid for Nate Solder. And the reason being, if you have to go in the open market to get a talented left tackle or even just a a starting left tackle, you are overpaying. So, you know, we'll talk about Andrew Thomas in a minute and we can pick nits about which of the four they should have picked. Uh, But, you know, something all four of these guys are really good. There's a higher probability than not that they will be very successful left tackles in this league for a long time. So. The bottom line is that is the guy that you know Dave Gettleman thought was the highest on his board, you know the highest of the position and the highest on his overall board. Um, we'll never know if a trade was trying to be done to trade down. Uh, you know it doesn't really matter at this point if there was or wasn't, um, but this is where we are, and it's not like we decided to, you know. Go for a quarterback or something. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a significant position of need with everybody bitched about for years. And uh, it was ironic seeing some people bitch that we drafted too many offensive linemen. It's like in the course of three days, you reverse five years of complaining about having no depth in the offensive line. I mean, it's an, it's an inevitable fact of life that every time a draft is coming up, just based on the hype of the draft and how important it actually is in improving a team – that fans will expect or anticipate a possibility of addressing all of a team's needs in one draft. It's just not possible. A draft is never so loaded that by round five you're getting starting level talent at precisely the position you need to fill. It just doesn't work like that. So, I mean, that's that's like death and taxes. So I, I expect that every year, and, and this year is no different in you know my the results that I found. But... The fact is, Andrew Thomas was picked, and you know, before the draft, I, I had said that my one and two guys here are Andrew Thomas and Jedrick Wills. 
I leaned towards Andrew Thomas because I ha- I was able to watch left and right tackle experience with him. You know, Jedrick Wills, I was able I, I was willing to lean on, you know, their you know, pro day scouting, their individual personal scouting, their talking with coaches and things like that to let me know that he has left tackle experience. If they had picked him, I would assume that that was the thing. But those were my one and two guys. It was Andrew Thomas. And and quite frankly, Andrew Thomas is a guy I had my eye on since the beginning of the year. Um, the, the beginning of the NCAA season. Um, and I, I honestly, if it were me picking, it's Andrew Thomas. So I, I couldn't be happier, I guess, in terms of what how everything went down. I mean, 6'5", 315, he's pro-ready. Um, he's a true left tackle with good footwork. You know, he he's the guy. Um, I don't think he had any struggles on tape other than his game against Auburn. And even then, I think he gave up one sack in his career at Georgia in the SEC against the best talent. Exactly. I mean, game tape matters more than running around in your underwear. I'll always buy that. And, you know, successful guys, you know, he was part of the best offensive line in college football last year. Um, they went to Atlanta, Georgia, because they're offensive line. You know, Georgia had no wide receivers to, to speak of. You know, a quarterback that struggled because it didn't have any wide receivers. Um, and he was the uh, he was the the foundation of that offensive line. So, I mean, again, remember everybody, he's a rookie coming in. I don't want to hear in week three if he whiffed or something. This guy's a bust. We should have drafted this guy. You know. Let's relax, but I, I think as far as what we needed, we got what we needed to start off the draft. Absolutely. I mean, this, I, and and as far as the trade down goes, I mean, the the writing was really on the wall once L.A. didn't give a shit to move up. Once they didn't want to go up to – once once three was picked, the, it was over. I mean, it just – it was what it was. So I, I, the reports were that the Giants were trying days ahead of time to try and trade down. So obviously, you know, we discussed that a trade down to get a, a tackle then is probably the most ideal. But it's truly outside of the hands of the Giants after they try. It really becomes about other teams needing to jump ahead. And it didn't happen. Um, there's nothing that they could do about that. So it, it just it makes me think for, you know, we go for weeks and weeks and weeks talking about trade possibilities. You know, this team may trade up. This man may trade up. I think it comes down to honestly, I think these teams know more than we think they do on what the other teams are going to do. Probably, yeah. I mean, I think this was a draft where I think I think Miami knew that they didn't have to trade up, that I think they knew that two was gonna be there. And um they held it they were not gonna spend outrageously to ensure that he was there. And, you know, they, to their credit and to their good fortune, they didn't have to give up any assets to get the guy they truly wanted. So, it, that's what it's a tough spot being around for because you're not really defining how the draft's going to go at the very top. No, you're, you're also, subject to it. Yeah, and you're not quite in one of those spots where, you know, you can make it's easier to make a move. Like people don't really want to jump to four unless other things happen. So, you know. If you come across with a guy who's one of the, you know, two or three highest rated left tackles, you know, and is it really a proverbial coin flip between, you know, him and the other guys, we made out fine. And we won't know the answer for a few years from now, too. So. No, yeah. But, I mean, as it stands now, looking at it, it seemed like the right choice. I, I'm, I'm perfectly happy with the way everything went down the first round. And the second round couldn't have happened any better either. I mean, other than a somewhat disappointing combine Xavier McKinney had no business being available at 36 and I had said that I had about three guys on my board that I would run to the podium for at 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 the start of the day and they were picking fourth that day so there was a good chance that somebody would be there all three of them were there and the highest on my board was Xavier McKinney you know it's really this is a year unlike other years where the combine isn't fair what happens in it because a lot of pro days were canceled. A lot of chances to meet with players were canceled. So 
that one data point becomes magnified where it be kind of one of several data points you're determining who you're going to draft. So again, like I said about Andrew Thomas, look at the game film. Look who, look who he played against over his career. I mean, you're watching the highlights when, when they're showing he's draft, you know, he's playing against all the way back, even to a really good Florida state team three years ago, uh, playing Georgia in the national championship game, playing, you know, a really good Auburn team, playing a really good LSU team. Played Clemson uh, in the national championship, didn't played, he? Played Clemson in the national championship game. So, you know, that's what you need to see, you know, to see and everything to really get excited about someone as opposed to the underwear jumping around. And, uh, yeah, I think that was a, that was a steal for them. It, that's one of those things that's like, why wait to get up to the podium? I think we ran to the podium to make that pick. Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, as you, as you were highlighting all the, the – the best teams in the league that he played against on top of that, he was a very smart and high IQ defender. Um, probably the smartest guy on that defense. And he played all over the place. I mean, he, he can play. He showed that he could play the slot. He could play out wide. He could play in the box. He could play single high. Um, he moves really well. He's really good. Well, he's not really good. He, he is good at baiting quarterbacks. Um, he tackles well. He's good blitzer. He can really play all over the place, and I, I had said that you know he makes the best complement to Jabril Peppers because he can play single high, but he can also come that he can be interchangeable with Jabril Peppers. It makes disguising defenses a lot better, a and lot easier. Disguising, and disguising defenses is going to be very important this year because we don't have that true pass rusher yet. So you're going to have to create confusion for the quarterback and his reads on the back end more so than just the, the lack of time. Right. I mean, so we're I not like on every really single play generating a consistent pass rush from one spot. There's no one guy on the defense on the edge anyway, that offenses have to work, look out for. So those disguised coverages and disguised blitzes become all that much more important. It's absolutely true. And, and let's be honest, the league is evolving where, you know, you don't have six step drop and you're waiting and waiting and waiting. It's, you know, things are faster. Oh yeah. So, you know, having that ability in the back end to disguise things and be multiple in your looks and stuff is just as important now as having, you know, that, that maniac coming off the edge every play. I mean, we'll get that guy at some point, but uh, this will help with that transition and that waiting time until it happens. Yeah. And again, like I said, he was he was the top guy of my top guys still available at the beginning of day two. So again, I, I really couldn't have asked for more at that point. I mean, nothing for me to complain about there. No. Um, things got a little wild in the middle rounds here. They at ninety ninth they took Matt Pert out of Connecticut, um, a six seven offensive tackle who is very athletic. He's got good feet and a natural feel for the position, but. He's very raw. He could he could learn a lot more about hand placement in his punches, and he can sometimes play a little too high. But he's a guy that I, I a lot of other people like. I guess I don't know enough about to really like, but I just felt a little ho hum about it. But again, I can't complain about the investment in the offensive line, and if they feel that his ceiling is high and he is a workable candidate, then it will pay dividends for them. You have a high ceiling, you know. The hope is he becomes a starter. But right, of course. Yeah. We have dis- we have discussed ad nauseum the importance of depth on the offensive line, and if this guy becomes a very qualified rotation guy on this offensive line, someone if somebody goes down for two or three weeks has to f- come in, or someone who gets down for a series has to, that is something the Giants are so far away from up until this point. And it's it's needed. And again, like I said, that we drafted three offensive linemen. I can guarantee you all three are not starting for the next seven years with the Giants. And, you know, they, they took a shot. They took a bit of a reach for it. And, and let's just see what happens. We, we really don't know how this new uh, coaching staff works yet, how effective they can be with, with more of a project or something. So we'll, we'll just have to wait. Um, it's not. It's certainly not a position where I'm going to be like, "Oh man, why did we do that?" No. Um, 
And also, I this is kind of the time of the draft where we have to throw in our obligatory. I don't want to hear the guys we couldn't draft because we didn't have the third round pick. Oh yeah, well, too bad you already heard heard it. Yeah, I mean, guys, get over it. And again, we're talking about a third round pick. We're not talking about the first pick in the draft. We're not talking about the fifth pick in the draft. So we'll, we'll uh, it'll be to be again as of everything. It's to be determined how these guys play out. But uh, you're never going to hear me bitching that we kept going offensive linemen, in, even if guys are a bit of a project. Because I don't think this guy is slated to be your right tackle on day one. Yeah, and and to that note, that doesn't mean that the Giants are cutting Nate Solder this year. I mean, I don't understand any reason why you would get rid of depth once you've just gotten it. And and I don't really care how much money it saves at a point where most of the free agents are already gobbled up anyway. Yeah, exactly. It's, you know, it may be sealing his fate for after next year, but that's next year's problem. That's not our problem for this year, and you're right. You know, I'm not throwing – for a team that still has depth issues in the offensive line, I'm not just cutting a starter, especially a starter that will be healthier than he was last year. And we'll, we'll have to wait and see with him. He might they might move him to the right side and Solder might be – if he's 90% of what they thought he'd be when they signed him, Two potential really good bookends we have next year. Absolutely, and Change and everything. both both Andrew Thomas and Nate Silder have have uh, experience playing the right side and the left side. So I don't see why there's any reason to pencil anyone in anywhere when you can just throw them both in at camp and see what combination sticks best. I mean, ultimately, we think that Andrew Thomas will be in the future the left tackle. Does not mean that he needs to be the left tackle this year if it's not the best combo for next year. And let's not go batshit if he isn't on week one, saying the saying the pick was a bust, and how could he not beat out Nate Solder? And you know, coaches aren't stupid. You know, they are look. They're trying to juggle between short term and long term needs of a team, and especially a guy like Joe Judge, who's you know getting his feet wet, expecting to be. He's at the very beginning of his tenure on this team too, so he's looking. Very big picture. He has compl- unless he's a absolute complete train wreck from day one, is going to get leeway to make decisions. One hundred percent. Moving into the fourth round at pick one ten, the Giants pick Darnay Holmes, a defensive back out of UCLA, five ten one ninety five. The big thing here with him is four four speed. He's incredibly fast, and he has good recognition. Now, why is he in the re- available in the fourth round? Well, will be honest with you, his 2019 tape is not very good. It's a, his tape was a little bit better in 2018, but still, you know, at 5'10", he didn't really have the ball skills that you'd, you'd think would jump right out on tape. However, and you, we know how, much, how important this is to Dave Gettleman, he was a senior bowl standout by everyone that I could check in on. Um, I un- used my Twitter account at football underscore grump to quote Charlie Campbell, who is a unbiased uh, writer uh, for Jack Prospects, who gave two very glowing reviews from Darnay Holmes from the Senior Bowl: one on Tuesday at the beginning of the week, and one on Thursday at the end of the week. Both times saying he was the best defensive back on the field. So I know that coaches and GMs put a lot of stock in the Senior Bowl practice week. And they put more of that – I wouldn't say it counts for more than tape, but I think it probably counts more than combine stuff. I think so. I mean you're you're more closely replicating real-life scenarios in practice than you are you know, doing the, uh, the shuttle run or something like that. So um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a position that you, know, you just said earlier that DeAndre Baker may be one of the few guys whose roster spot is secure. But, you know, I wouldn't say he's a lock, and I don't think the, I don't think the, uh, the position group doesn't nearly have the depth that it needs to. I mean, we have very big concerns about the slot. We have concerns about, you know, when, when guys go down. Sam Beal, we're still – Thinking once he's finally healthy could be one of those guys, but we don't know that yet. He might turn out to be a pretty big time bust, and I'm not calling him a bust yet because it's not fair. He's 
he's still only 23, but he's had basically his first two years have been wiped out. So this is a position group where we need, like the offensive line, competition. Competition in training camp, competition in practice week, you know, competition. Nobody should feel secure about their jobs. And just because we had some picks last year, you know, in quarterback doesn't mean that we're not going back to the well again. Sure, absolutely not. And, and nor nor should we ignore it. I mean, just because we dumped a lot into it last year. Um, you know, quite frankly, the defensive backs were not good enough last year for us to ignore it. Yeah, um, and part of that may not be their fault being in a, you know, not being used to, you know, match their skill sets or, or a scheme that matched their collective skill sets individually or collectively. But so they're going to get a bit of a reset this time. But the secondary was bad last year. It was not good. Uh, the, the, we could say all these things we want about, you know, how we feel about the draft and the potential and this and that. But the bottom line is, this team looked like a bad football team last year on the field. And people want to judge this year by how many more wins we'll have than last year. But the first measure is going to be, does this team look like it's a better team? I mean, people don't want to hear that. They're sick of losing. But we have to start looking like we're a better team before we start worrying about quantitative wins and losses. And I think the influx of talent since last year and getting rid of a lot of dead wood is definitely going to show on the field already. Sure. And, you know, the one thing I mentioned to really focus on was his 4-4 speed. The reason that comes into play is because he was a kick returner at UCLA. So that is something we haven't been able to brag about for since, what, Dominic Hickson? And what's the background of our new head coach? Special teams. Special teams coach. So he's looking at, you know, he might be a, he could be a, Punt returner could be a gunner, could be you know anything with speed. So who knows? Sure. Um, in round five at pick one fifty, I was surprised because you know by day three I wasn't watching every single pick come off the board. I was in and out of the room. I had it on and I was listening, but you know I'm not always listening. So I was shocked to find out that Shane Lemieux, the left guard from Oregon, was still on the board. At 6'4", 310, he has ideal height and weight for the interior. He's smart. He's got good footwork. He pushes and sustains in the run game. He can manipulate defenders out of gaps. He has some pretty decent pulling ability. He has good setting and recovery and pass protection. Most importantly, all of his years at left guard were, were at left guard, but he has since displayed versatility in playing all three interior positions, including center. The black hole of our offensive line right now. Right. Especially now after drafting a tackle. Um, you know, he has... There's there's no tape to go off of, so I can't say how good or bad he is in terms of being a center, but I can say that he's smart and he's a good blocker and really was very strange for me that he was sitting around in the, the fifth round. Any uh, Anything heard on the street? Why? No, I mean... I, I did hear that there was like some mixed scouting on him. Some people had him for a round two pick. I mean, other people had him about round five, but nobody had him lower than round five. So if he did, you know, he didn't tumble in the draft really. But you know, I I can't really think of anything. I didn't hear anything about why he was available so late. Yeah, you know, runs happen and things happen in a draft. It's you know, it's not. Someone is a fifth-round pick isn't necessarily a fifth-round player. So, hey, you know, if it's a, if it's a diamond in the rough and he's someone who can, you know, contribute in the rotation, that's fantastic. You, know, you have to give your you have to give yourself more shots. You know, more uh, buy more lotto tickets to hope to win the lottery. Absolutely, yeah, um, and you know. He, he he has versatility, right? So maybe he becomes the center. Maybe he doesn't. Is it is it really horrible that the worst-case scenario is that he eventually replaces 30-year-old Kevin Zeitler down the road next year or the year after? Absolutely not, because he's going to be cheaper and younger than Kevin Zeitler. Yeah, I mean, these guys, there are some big contracts. On, they're going to be kind of, you know, 
melting off the salary cap sooner or later. So, and you know, I hate to bring this up, but we don't know what's going to happen with this season. You know, salary cap could be significantly impacted next year. You know, if they if they decide the season is going to be shorter, or they decide they're going to be playing in locations where there's no fans or something, and revenues take a very serious hit. Who knows what's going to happen with the salary cap? And so it's not like we can just go out and get, you know, another guard or something and pay crazy money for it. They may not be available to the Giants. So this is really a time where you need to get your kind of financial ducks in a row. <laughs> this, this is chess instead of checkers. <laughs> you know, I was watching. I've started rewatching The Wire this week, and they, uh, for those of you who have seen it, remember in season one the analogy of. Uh, the chess pieces to the game, and it's uh, it's pretty good. But you're absolutely right. Yeah, I mean, in general, he was the best offensive lineman on the board. Period. And I'm not going to complain about any talent being added to the offensive line, especially one as good as him. Just because we have our starters at guards doesn't mean shit to me. Because again, it's it's it is how unlikely that all five starters on your offensive line make it a whole season. I mean, just super unlikely. How unlikely is it your top seven guys oh, sure. you know, play 16 games or are available for 16 games? I mean, it's the biggest thing in this league that really separates, you know, the average teams from the contenders, I think, is injuries. I mean, there's a – there's not that much of a talent gap between the third and fourth team and the 15th team. And usually if you plot it out over the last – X amount of years, you can kind of say, well, this team had key injuries at key spots at key times. Or that, or that teams weren't prepared for those injuries. To right, yeah. Or gunshot wounds to the leg. It happens. Um, in the sixth round at pick 183, they pick Cam Brown, a linebacker from Penn State. I'm not going to complain about any talent added to the linebacking core, and nor should any Giants fan. Um, but what I can tell you, he's 6'5 and 235, so good Good size. Um, he bursts his way into blocks pretty well. He's very effective at blitzing and finding gaps to jump. And he's good at being downhill. Um, he can work a little bit in coverage. But, again, he's a sixth-round pick, so here are the negatives. Sometimes he's a little undisciplined. He can outrun the play. Um, doesn't have particularly quick recognition right now. And it affects his play speed. So while he is a fast individual, he doesn't react quick enough for that speed to become useful yet. Um, but... The upside of that is that you can see when he is on top of the play because his speed, he becomes one of the faster guys out there. Um, the other thing is that his tackling is a little troublesome. To me, he looks like a special teams player right now. You know, when you start getting down to this part of the draft, it's one of those things where if you don't know who they are, that's fine. Will you know who they are in three years or two years? Probably not. Um, these are guys that are going to compete for roster spots and you know don't worry don't these aren't guys you say where our linebacker situation is taken care of because we now have three linebackers thinking they're all equal in you know talent ability and upside so these are guys you know they see something they're they're gonna be more more flaws than you'd like to think they are but they have enough something that they're gonna be give a chance to compete and if they compete Fantastic. And they make a team, you know, fantastic. So I wouldn't judge Dave Gettleman based upon who the sixth or seventh round pick is and you wanted someone else and you're pissed off that they took player X. Right. Um, I will say, though, even though everything you said is correct and I agree with it, I'm a little bit excited for round seven pick 218 Carter Coughlin from Minnesota. Um, and this is a guy I, I did not know anything about, but when I put on the tape for him, he did the same thing. I got the same feeling that I got when I put on Ryan Connolly's tape. I see a guy who is fast, smart, quick to diagnose plays, and and athletic. You know, this guy fell because he's an edge player, but he's only 6'3". Um, he doesn't have the ideal length or bend to play the position at an elite level. But I see a guy who makes up for it with play speed. He's very – I think he's like 4-5 speed um, and effort and motor. Um, 
I really it seems will to be not... a recurring theme. In terms of speed yeah, and speed. effort, <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. I th- I think speed was a priority. I especially on defense. I think they went after fast players. I mean, especially on defense because they only picked offensive linemen for the offense. But yes, I think that this team they want to play faster than they were playing. And Carter Coughlin is a fast linebacker, a fast outside linebacker. And I know this sounds a little nuts, and it's very early for me to say this. I know he's going to be I, – I would not be shocked at all if he's earning jerseys on specials right away. I also would not be shocked if by the end of the season he comes in due to injury for somebody and doesn't embarrass himself. I really do think highly of, of Carter Coughlin. Great. <laughs> I mean, it's if one of these lower round guys sticks and makes a meaningful impact on day one, you know, you're so far ahead of the curve on, you know, a roster spot that you're probably paying close to the league minimum for, I would think, right? In a very little signing bonus. So anytime you can Usually fill, seventh round picks make less than the undrafted free agents. Yeah. So anytime you can fill one roster spot with such a small impact to the cap, that's a net benefit to your team. Um, following that, they took another linebacker from South Carolina, round seven, pick 238, TJ Brunson. He's a good downhill linebacker, linebacker with a good tackling ability, and he fights through blocks pretty well, but he struggles quite a bit in coverage, and he often bites or hesitates on play fakes. Um, as somebody who's familiar with South Carolina's coach, who is a defensive-minded coach, um, you know, I'm sure you think he's probably a running back or something. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but, you know, one thing Will Muschamp does is he, you know, he's a good, great defensive coach from a scheme standpoint, execution standpoint, and a talent developer, too, so... I mean, absolutely. Could you really complain about any of the defenses that Florida fielded under Muschamp? Uh, I mean, well, the year we couldn't stop uh, Georgia Southern might have been a problem. But uh, but again, that was a whole other set of injury circumstances. But no, I mean, they took a team with a very bad quarterback in Jeff Driscoll and had one regular season loss, went to the Sugar Bowl on the defense. So he's a, he's a very good defensive coach. Um, following that, uh, pick 247, Chris Williamson, a defensive back from Minnesota. Uh, you know, six feet, 205. He's got your, your good size for a defensive back. I think he's going to be, he, he's got decent ability in the slot, uh, no shot on the outside. But, you know, what I like about him is that he's very good in run situations. He comes down very willing tackler, very good tackler, and he blitzes very effectively. Um, I'm seeing a lot of, talented downhill blitzers that were drafted here in the linebackers from Cam Brown, Carter Coughlin, TJ Brunson, Chris Williamson, and pick 255, Tay Crowder from Georgia. Um, Chris Williamson, a uh, Gator recruit who uh, transferred out pretty quickly. Yeah. So he was recruited by McIlwain? He'd be a McIlwain, yeah. I, I do think that it's pretty interesting how many downhill guys were taken here, and it, it seems that there's an effort here to get uh, willing and um, disciplined tacklers. And I think that this has more to do with their special teams' ability and their intangibles as effort players and, and, and football players uh, for specials at first and maybe something that they think that they can just continue developing outside of college into a respectable rotating player. And I think that's more Joe Judge than anything. Well, I mean, it's also Dave Gettleman is very good at finding talented players late in the draft. Oh, I mean, so you're not going to continue this new uh, narrative that Joe Judge is really in charge now, and that's why things are turning around? (laughs) Nothing could possibly annoy me more than, than... not giving credit where it's due. I, I mean, I thought I was supposed to be the one that would go out of my way to find a way to compliment Gettleman at all times, but finding a way to not compliment him at all times is a whole other level of being a homer. Well, you know, it's the only next to making fun of him for wearing a mask when he's recovering from cancer. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it, at this point now, it's a joke how embarrassing some people are where, you know, they have an anecdote 
Gettleman stance, and they will just rip him for any reason or 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 not give the credit where credit is due. I think I think my favorite my favorite piece of evidence for the proof that this was not Dave Gettleman in charge was look at how many defensive backs were taking. That's such a New England move. Oh, you mean last year too? Then. Yeah. <laughs> what happened then? Yeah. Exactly. It's it's just silly. I mean, of course, Joe Judd, he's the head coach. He had influence over this. It's still a collaborative effort. It always was a collaborative effort. It's just that in the past, it was a collaborative effort with a bad head coach. Yeah. Sometimes bad collaboration is worse than no collaboration. Sure. Um, And again, we've said this on earlier shows too, that Joe Judge's experience as being a special teams guy means he has to consider a whole roster, and he looks at skill sets of everybody from a different lens than a pure offensive or defensive or head coach looks at players. So, you know, what is he looking for when he looks at the film of these guys in college? Maybe it may not be a specific skill set that's part of the standard, but maybe something that he sees that is a trait that he looks for in a football player. So, you know, let's see how this plays out for the next two, three, four years. And, you know, that could be something we can be looking back on this in three years and, you know, wishing Pat Shermer was back. Who, who knows? But, uh, you know, everybody wins the offseason. And right now, Joe Judge is winning the offseason. So let's just <laughs> see how that goes. Yeah, well, like I said, I try not to get too high or too low after a draft. But I walk away from this feeling very comfortable. I, I feel very, very at ease with a lot of these picks. I felt very connected to a lot of them, a lot of picks that I probably would have made personally. Um, and, and, and a lot of picks of people I didn't know but came away impressed with. So I can't complain about this draft, and I feel good about it, uh, you know, Monday morning. So. People who complain usually... It's a blow to their ego because they predicted somebody and it didn't happen. Or they just looking for a reason to bash Gettleman. Or they don't understand that every move isn't made for the here and now. That's so, the biggest thing, I think. Yeah, so I really – I kind of stayed off Twitter for the last couple of days because people are just acting like unbelievable assholes. And, you know, and also going the other way too, just like – you know booking our tickets to Tampa next year because we have the draft. It's like drafts are wonderful, but you know, until you actually, you know, pop your, uh, you know, your, uh, your uniform, what do they call it? Your pop the pads on that first practice. You don't know what we got. Absolutely. And for all of those who were most upset that an edge rusher was not taken, there was some news that broke earlier today, and by earlier, I mean like literally like two, three hours ago. Um, the Giants have just slapped Marcus Golden with a UFA tender. Now, what that means is that Marcus Golden has until July 22nd to sign with another team, or he will can only play for the Giants. The tender is worth 110% of his 2019 salary. Now, there's some confusion about this, but that does not include his his performance bonus that he earned last year of a million dollars. So that the he, he earned an extra million dollars last year because he got 10 sacks in a season. That is not included in this calculation. So he was signed at $3.7 million, $3.75 million, so 110% of this $4.125 million. That doesn't mean they can't negotiate a different deal, but I'm sure that his asking price was much, much higher, and this gives Giants some leverage, and it also puts a clock on Marcus Golden seeking deals out with other teams. Do you find it, do you find it a little surprising that he's still out there? No, I don't. Um, I, I think that I think that he earned himself a good contract. I think that he's probably in he he yeah I would say he is in line still to get a good contract, but he's still one of those tier two guys. He's still only one year, uh, two years away from a, a big time injury, um, and I think that a lot of those tier two guys who are asking for a big contract, teams tend to wait until after the draft to address those guys. I mean, for shit's sake, you know, 
Isn't Genevian Clowney still available? I was just going to ask. I mean, a guy like him is still out there. I mean, what is his possible market, and or is that someone we can maybe get on the cheap? Or are we capped out for? Um, Clowney, I think, is outside of the realm of possibility for the Giants. Um, I also think that he is not somebody that they were ready to throw a ton of money at anyway. Um, right, but the longer he's out there, that money's going to drop. What he's ultimately going to get, I think. It's possible. I mean, he he is the guy who's going to set that market, though. So yes, I think you're right. Whatever his asking price is, each day it's ticking down a little bit more. But ultimately, he is the one setting the market. I mean, there's nothing else on the the edge rusher side of the world for 2019 that is going to set. So eventually, when one a team caves, it's it's that sets the market. There's nobody else to go against. Right. And ultimately, that screws guys like Marcus Golden, who was probably jockeying for position with teams, waiting for Clowney to set the market. Right, right, right. All right. So we're feeling we're feeling pretty good after this. You know, we I think we both agree, like I said in the start, that the Giants on paper right now are a better team than they were Thursday afternoon. Yeah. They have not addressed all of their needs, but no one draft will ever do that, especially a team that is still in the middle of a rebuild. I think we can feel better going into camp, knowing that there will be competitions at offensive line and, and in the secondary. So you're not just all hands on deck, get a uniform armor, you're going to play. You're actually going to get you know, people not making this team that probably would have made it last year, which that rise in talent will you know, help not only protect your investments, but give you more of a functional offense. And also, you know, not giving up a thousand yards in the secondary either. So, you know, we sound like broken records, and you're probably sick of hearing us saying, "Keep patience, keep patience." Um, but uh, you know, between now and whenever training camp starts, now we start thinking about this roster and uh, you know what the next needs are going to be. You know, and how do we address it going forward? Yeah, absolutely. Just remember where this team was last year. If this team in 2020 comes away with six wins, that's a pretty big improvement based on last year. It's a pretty good improvement, but do you feel – and I didn't want to get into this conversation, but fuck it. It's late. I'm tired. <laughs> six wins, does it kind of placate anybody worrying about the, the, the state of the rebuild and the confidence that people have in Gettleman? Even though that's, I, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a logical next stop for this team on the, on the way back. I don't know. It's going to depend on what the six wins look like, obviously. I mean, you could back your way in with four wins at the very end of the year and come to yeah, six wins. Yeah, we're two and ten. That's, yeah. that's not, um, I'm saying if they're kind of like playing one under 500 each month. I, I mean, I think that, that that's a competitive team based on a team that was pretty much out of it by like week seven last year. Yeah. I think one thing this team has to do is we need to get off to a 500 start, hope, a, a hopeful start, at least through, you know, October 1st. I mean, another 0 and 4 start, another 0 and 3 start. You know, it's just, it's so soul sucking. And mm-hmm. just is like, well, this season's over. Yeah. You know, and then it's just going to be. You know, you're going to hear the Gettleman calls, and because I really don't think the mayors want to make a move. I think, I think they're logical, and they see the progression of what, if in not showing in wins, they're showing in talent level in, improving. Mm-hmm. Um, again, we have no idea what Joe Judge is like as a coach. <laughs> you know, we, we again, we could have a complete buffoon on our hands, or we could have someone who's a young genius. We don't know. Right, but. Uh, but, but it's just something to keep in mind when, when we say things like they haven't addressed all their needs or, you know, w- whatever. This team isn't isn't done yet. We're still rebuilding. Just keep in mind what the frame of reference is and that six wins would be a big deal for this franchise right now. I think, I think a 
a big deal would be to get to seven. I think having a having a nine in the loss column as opposed to double digit is a big. Oh, absolutely. Well, well, I'll say this: at seven and nine, I don't really care when those seven wins happen. At seven and nine, you're talking about wild card competitiveness, and then you know once you start saying playoff chances, you're talking about a whole other caliber of team than what we've dealt with for the last four years. Just plain and simple. The last time we sniffed the playoffs was 2016. Especially with the extra wildcard team. True, yeah. So, you know, 7-9, and you're definitely talking about a huge improvement. And at that point, I think it's hard to say anybody needs to get fired. And that's it. I think that's, I think, the difference between 6 and 10 and 7. 6 and 10 just sounds bad. Yeah, no, I understand. Then you're, you know, three years in a row of 10 losses. I mean, it's, it's, it's it's a psychological barrier more than anything. And I think that needs to be done. Well, with that, <laughs> yeah. um, be sure to follow us on Twitter. I'm at football underscore grump, where I'm going to continue breaking down these players with clips throughout the week. So I'm going to do my best to do that sort of thing and kind of give you guys a better idea of these players, especially the late round guys, so you can get a chance to see what I'm seeing. Um, so again, on Twitter, at football underscore grump. Catch me as always at the Cranky Fan, where... I don't know. I'll talk about whatever you guys want to talk about. <laughs> I'm just waiting for something to happen. You know, my uh, Corona beard is getting to Rip Van Winkle size now, and I'm just looking to. I'm just looking for sports to come back. It's a, it's a long road. And this show is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, uh, Spotify, Google Play, all sorts of places. And next week we will start going into how these draft picks and the free agency affects the state of the roster. And that's going to be kind of into our season preview for the next couple of weeks. Um, you know, normally we go into some of the mini camp news and stuff like that while we do that, but that's probably not going to happen. I don't want to say definitely anything. Basically I, I have say- no fucking idea how this off season is going to go. So the episodes we're going to do our best. I, I don't know what else to tell you. I mean, I think that we could probably do for the next month or so is just kind of break down, you know, some of the – at a higher level than we did with our draft previews and stuff. But more like, you know, let's talk about the offense. Let's talk about the defense. Let's talk about the passing game. Let's talk about, you know, things like that maybe to kind of say what the state of the roster right now looks like this. And – what we think can be an improvement over last year. What do we think still needs the biggest needs? There's a lot of stuff we can kind of talk about with this. But now at least we have some new blood to work with at least. Not the same old hash we've been eating for fucking six months. <laughs> now we're getting some new hash to digest. All right, everyone. As usual, stay safe and go Giants. Go Giants. Let's go!